And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman and Hagman Report, coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. I want to welcome everyone to our program tonight. Got a lot of information to cover. The first hour, some significant breaking information that, well, frankly, it's very personal to me. And um, you need to know about this. The uh, second hour. We have a very special guest, Saeed Abedin. He made news. He was uh, he was a prisoner in Iran for three years for being a Christian, essentially for being a Christian. He's going to come on in hour two to talk about what uh, what that's about, what that was like. Um, and then hour three, Pastor David Langford will be with us. It's it's really going to be a, a packed program, but this first hour, um, of course, some lighter news. I suppose it's light relative to everything else. Is cereal giant Kellogg says Breitbart's conservative principles are not aligned with their corporate values. So bad news for you, Pop Tart, Rice Krispie, Cheez It, Eggo eating snowflakes. Yeah, if you like your Fruit Loops in the morning, yeah. yeah, Kellogg says, you know what? We really don't want your business. Enough said. That's right. In fact, Breitbart News has started an internet petition with the hashtag Dump Kellogg's. You know, this is this is folks. What's taking place right now? This is a war at the economic level because here we we have experienced it ourselves, and it, look, it costs money to broadcast. It costs money to broadcast. Whether you're broadcasting across town or across the world, it costs money if you want to reach people. Now, uh, we have the best. I believe we have the best. Global Star Radio Network is absolutely the best, and of course, we use YouTube Live and Blog Talk Radio as well. But here's the thing. We have advertisers, sponsors, to offset the cost of, of, advert- of uh, broadcasting. And uh, the sponsors that we, that we do accept, and I, and I say accept, it must align with our Christian values. We had, um, not too long ago, had a situation where we... Um, we said, look, um, with one sponsor, we said, look, we, we, we really can't in good conscience. So one of our listeners had said, did you know that they're, that they filed an amicus brief with the, um, homosexual marriage issue? No, I didn't know that. So we contacted the, the person in charge of ads and says, look, you know, it doesn't align with our values. So we're not gonna, you know, we, we can't, we can't, uh, really, we, we don't feel in good conscience we could, we could continue advertising your product. 
It's not not a problem. So not only did that ad company take out that sponsor, but they took out two other sponsors as well, saying, "You know what? If you're not going to, if if you're that intolerant, we're going to just cut it, cut you right off. At the, we're going to take everything we got from you, basically. Everything you've got, we're going to take everything you've got. Which that's fine. That's their right, as it is our right, as well. Dump Kellogg's." But the big money, the corporate, uh, the, the big corporations, they can survive a lot longer than the smaller businesses. And this is the, this is the warfare right now. This is where the warfare is at right now in this country. If you are a Christian, anti-abortion, pro-marriage, and I say pro-marriage, pro-traditional marriage, if you really need that qualifier, then ladies and gentlemen, you're on your own. And it's going to get lonely. Now we've got some. W- w- this is why we all need to team together. And I, you know, I guarantee you. See, and, and I'm, I'm talking about this right now. I, I guarantee you, there will be Christian websites out there. As sure as I'm sitting right here, there will be Christian websites out out there who will say, you know, oh, it's all about money with you. Here you go whining and complaining about money when you Christian website owner, operator the only thing you can really brag about not even brag the only thing the only thing that you ever have ever done to advance the Christian agenda is to rip other Christians down that's your claim to fame well, maybe knitting or something like that. I don't know. That might be your claim to fame, too. But see, this is war. This is war. Now, I'm not, I'm not on a rant. Really, I'm not. But we have to understand the asymmetry of the war that we are fighting. The progressive Marxist-Leninist warriors out there will come after you in every way possible. They will come after you financially. They will tie you up in court. Bleed you dry with lawyer's fees. They have deep pockets. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe, no, I'm on my own. I, I I don't have a lawyer. I don't have anybody backing me. Yeah, go a few layers deeper. Go a few layers deeper. Oh, yes, you do. So they can afford the lawyers while we can't. And they rejoice in that. And, of course, they call themselves Christians. We're doing this for the Christian community, for for the truth movement. We're doing it because we, that's why we're doing it. Because we have to take these Christian charlatans and get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's war. And, and if, see, it's not just us. 
as a as a broadcasting entity. It's just not. It's not us as a website. It's not us as an entity or a family. You will feel this too. If you if you if you don't have a website, if you're just listening to this, but you've got the ideology, the conservative ideology, the pro-Christian, anti-abortion, pro-traditional marriage ideology that that you've got that, and you believe in the, in what's right, you believe in what's biblically correct, you'll be a target too. Whether you will be discriminated against on your job or via your shopping. Look at Kellogg's. You know, you know, you're not welcome as a customer. That's fine. Okay. But the battle lines have been drawn and they are going to get deeper and wider and we're all going to be engaged. Like it or not, the battle is coming to you. Just wait. More on that in a little bit. By the way, find a great, uh, speaking of advertisers, find a great, great company luggage. Uh, folks, do you need a carry-on? I, I, I want to direct your attention to awaytravel.com slash Hagman. I'm going to show you this a little bit later. I actually brought the, uh, the carry-on with me here into the studio. I'm going to show you this only because it is so great. This is what I'm getting my daughter for Christmas because, well, this this away um, carry-on actually charges cell phone devices. It's a carry-on bag that's got a charger built into it, and it's it's it's, like, it's got like a it's a thousand dollar carry-on bag that sells for a third of that, less than that. I'll show you that later. But anyway, Portions Nice Broadcast brought to you by awaytravel.com slash Hagman. Really a cool thing. Now, I was a little bit unnerved before the, before the broadcast. Reason being is, um, regular listeners and longtime listeners know that, uh, that we, back in 2005, into 2006 and into 2007, we, uh, when we operated as the Northeast Intelligence Network, um, we conducted physical surveillance of what is known as Islamberg, Muslims of the Americas. And you've heard me talk about this before. I've written extensively about them before. I published a uh, PDF report, which I'm going to republish again. Uh, Islamberg is a compound Islamic uh, Muslim compound headquartered in at the base of the Catskill Mountains in New York State it's an enclave and uh, it's known as Holy Islamberg at the base of the Catskill Mountains in fact um, Eric if you can put up but it's 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 head, it's head by it's yeah head it's led by Sheikh Mubarak Ali Jalani. This guy on your screen. If you're watching this live via YouTube, uh, you'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the one. So, this, okay, Sheikh Mubarak Ali Jalani is the head of Islamberg. He started, uh, he started the Muslims of the Americas 
the community of the impoverished back in 1980. This guy is a resident of Pakistan. In 80, he and I'm just giving you a thumbnail, just a real, really quick version of this. He came to the United States in 1980 and began the Muslims of the Americas. Now, I'm going to leave this image up on the screen just for a little bit, or have Eric do it. And uh, what he did was appeal to the black men in America and started the compound at the in Hancock, New York. At the, They bought up a huge parcel of land, a lot of acreage, in uh, the base of the Catskills. And uh, then from there, branched out all across the United States. At one point, they had 37 different encampments. You've heard, I'm sure you've heard of this guy, Islamberg, Muslims of the Americas. I'm sure you've heard of him. If you've been looking at the terror threat in the United States for any length of time. All right. Back in the 80s, they were designated as a, as a terrorist group. Now, right after 9-11, um, well, they were taken off as a terrorist group by the, by the U.S. Department of State. And I really wasn't planning on getting into this tonight, except there, there's a huge issue here, and the issue is this. We are targets. We are absolute targets by this group. Remember the Beltway snipers, Mohammed, uh, Lee Malvo, and uh, the Beltway snipers. They were members of the Muslims of the Americas. That was not widely known, but they received assistance from the Muslims of the Americas, from this group in Hancock, New York. All right, so... In 2000, again, 2005 began an investigation of the Muslims of Americas, of the Americas, which is the International Quranic Institute, or International Institute, uh, uh, International Quranic Institute of America. That's their, that's their front, that's their actual, you know, legal title. But Sheikh Mubarak Ali Jalani, after establishing this group and being named as a terrorist organization, fled, went back to Pakistan. And, um, but nonetheless, has maintained contact with and uh, has had support from the from the Muslims of the Americas or Islamberg groups, 37 compounds across the United States. Well, after being designated as a foreign as a terrorist organization, there was a, a bit of a crackdown, but still they they were allowed to live and be part of the community here across the United States. Now. Go ahead and put up uh, image one there. This is an image that maybe the sign, yeah. This is an image that I I personally took this image, and this has been all over, published all over the Internet. This is the outside um, of the compound in Hancock, New York. This appeared in books. This appeared in websites all across, really all across the world. In 2007, I believe it was, published a, a investigative report about the Muslims of the Americas. We observed, 
being an investigative, licensed investigative agency, we were asked to take a look at this group. Not, not, not by any government agency, but by a private entity. We did. We conducted surveillance. The surveillance that we conducted verified a number of things, not limited to, or including, but not limited to the fact that they were engaged in paramilitary training at this vast compound in, in, in Hancock, New York. They were in possession of automatic weapons. There was a school bus on site there that was being used, not just for target practice, but they would storm the school bus. Neighbors reported hearing automatic gunfire, seeing these people march, the men march down the street. Now there's an image, uh, I believe it might be three. Uh, the, the, the hole, the, um, guy by, by the hole. Alright. We reported the fact that this group was collecting, storing weapons on, on this, at this location. We provided documentation to that effect to the federal government, to the FBI. No sooner did we do that. No sooner did we provide, and you can take a look at this image. This is from Islamberg. That's the, what, and for those listening, what this depicts is a man standing by a, by an underground bunker where weapons were allegedly kept. Now, here's the situation. Just now, Fox News is reporting. Oh, and by the way, we, we, we issued this investigative report to, to the FBI, provided them all sorts of documentation, photographic documentation, video documentation, witness statements. No sooner did we submit that. I don't even think the ink was dry on the report that we submitted. Sheikh Mubarak Ali Jalani issued a religious statement against me and another investigator. Some might call it a fatwa. It did earn me a visit from the FBI who said, look, if I were you, I wouldn't be caught, you know, hanging around Islamberg. I'd, I'd really beef up your security if I were you. Yeah, you, in fact, that's, I, I just took a, a brief, uh, snip of the, of what's on the, on their website, Muslims of the Americas website, and you can see part of it where I'm named there. Uh, Sheikh Mubarak, Mubarak Ali Jalani names me as being the, uh, individual behind terrorism. Okay. As, as crazy as that sounds. In case you're, in case, in case Jelani does ring a bell, that does ring a bell, you remember Wall Street Journal reporter Daniel Pearl. He was on his way to meet with Jelani in Lahore, Pakistan when he was kidnapped and beheaded. Daniel Pearl. The FBI, of course, cleared Sheikh Jelani from any wrongdoing. saying, no, Jelani had nothing to do with it. So, 
We warned the FBI. We warned DHS. We warned everybody we could about this. Other agencies or other other companies, other broadcasting authors and such. But Dr. Paul Williams wrote, in fact, he wrote in his book, The Day of Islam, he wrote, uh, dedicated a chapter and a half or two chapters to my investigation. He himself went to Islamburg. Fox Channel 5 went to Islamburg. Of course, they went overtly with cameras. They were subsequently kicked off the property. It's not exactly how you do an investigation, but nonetheless. So our findings were ridiculed by the FBI, saying that, don't worry, there's, there's no, there's no issue. Of course, then Jelani published photographs of the FBI lunching with the, with the, um, uh, Muslim terrorists. I'm going to call them terrorists at Islamburg. And Jelani puts up, makes this religious statement posted on his website. And we have been receiving occasionally the occasional threats, the death threats from this. Not a big deal. What are you going to do? Well, just came out today. It's being reported on Fox News. Islamist group and U.S. reportedly arming for confrontation with Trump administration. An Islamist group with secretive compounds around the U.S. is collecting weapons in anticipation of potential raids by the incoming Trump administration. It's about damn time somebody did something, if that's the case. One of the group's small enclaves is known as Holy Islamburg, located about 150 miles northwest of New York City in the Catskills. That's where we did the surveillance. Muslims of America, which is headquartered in Hancock, New York, and run from Pakistan, operates 22 Islamic villages around the nation. Well, let me, here's a news flash. If, if anyone cares, these, these, these enclaves, that's old news. What Jelani has done, and no one is listening, they have taken and trained groups of military, groups of men, military training, given military training, weapons, and ladies and gentlemen, they have been dispersed in cities across the United States. They are not encapsulated in these compounds any longer. At least not the warriors, the, the, uh, uh, whatever Jelani called them on that picture, uh, the lions or the fighting lions or whatever. They're not there. They are among, they are now living in the cities awaiting their orders to come after the people who are not Muslim and yes, come after us compliments of Jelani thank you very much and thank you to the FBI of course for your quick reaction to that quick reaction to some call it a fatwa it's not really a fatwa it's a religious statement by Jelani that still exists on the Muslims of America's website So what I'm telling you is this. These people, Fox News is now reporting that intelligence states, well, they're not reporting that, but intelligence does state that there's increased activity among members of this particular community. We have been warned to increase our security. We have been warned to watch out. We have been warned that we are targets. We have been warned that these people are loaded, armed for confrontation.
you got Judge Napolitano, who I normally agree with, arguing or you know saying, well, you know what, if you're a resident, legal resident of the state, you can collect weapons. You can, there's no law against it. I understand that, but you have to understand too that this is a group that is admittedly a terrorist organization. And folks, this is not a joke. This is not a slap. And these people are being helped by the government, or have been helped by the government. And this transcends party because this was very rampant during the Clinton administration this goes back in, as I said in 1980 uh, during the Reagan administration the Clinton administration the Bush administrations plural especially George W. Bush when it took on a new life this group took on a new life and I'm telling you each and every one of you right now the biggest threat right here are the Muslims of America led by Sheikh Mubarak Ali Jalani. So if you happen to see my head cut off or stuck on a pole, yeah, you can hand somebody a phone book if, if they want to know. You know, you got any enemies? Yeah, just here. Here's a phone book. But these would be my, this is would be the first person, first place to look. These are not nice people. They are not nice people. They are trained. They are armed. And they are among us. I will be doing a special report, more articulate, with with video and, well, with photographic evidence I have not yet shown that I gave to the FBI, and apparently they did diddly scott with it, so we are going to just let it all hang out. Watch HagmanReport.com for a special report on this, because now I'm loaded for bear. And these people, these these members of this community, these communities, they're not nice people. And again, they're not, they are out among us. They are not in these walled, at least not the warriors. They're not in the walled villages any longer. Okay. So you have to understand that. But I'm going to be uh, addressing this separately in a separate video in a uh, very, very, very comprehensive investigative report. It's coming, coming at us. War. It's coming at us. Civil war. This is being exploited. Not just between the blacks and the whites, between the haves and the have-nots. Now, of course, the Muslim terrorists and the non-Muslims. It's all being orchestrated. It's all being gamed out by the powers. By the powers. Believe it. Don't believe it. It's up to you. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. We're going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Moving fearlessly forward in the uh, in the quest to, to expose the darkness that's out there. The uh, previous segment talked about the Muslims of the Americas, Islamberg. The uh, I'll just say this too: be, you've got to be very careful uh, with the information out there. The information, a lot of it about Islamberg, is dated. Um, this is. Islamberg and the Muslims of the America, it's, it's an evolving threat. They are changing their tactics. They are changing their, their, 
they're changing their dresses, they're moving all the time. People have to understand that this is not uh, what it was even five years ago, three years ago, or even a year ago. Many that their their tactics have operational tactics have changed. So I, I want to caution you when you read what's out there on the internet, even by respectable authors, and they still are. Understand that the uh, uh, the locations have changed, that the threats are not where they're where they are at this point. And, you know, back in um, back 10 years ago when we exposed the, this group for what it was we had a lot of people uh, that came after us and you know uh, uh, continued the investigation God bless them and thank, we thank them for doing that but what happened was well we're going to you know you get people saying we're going to go see for ourselves and and they went to Islamburg for example in, in Hancock, New York for the Catskills and they said well we don't see anything well of course not of course not. You're not. You're not going to see anything. The covert surveillance was conducted, then exposed. Jelani, Jelani and, and the group was tipped off, and of course, you're not going to see anything after that. And then you got Fox News going down there in full force. You know, cameras are blazing, saying, "Hey, can we come in?" No. Of course, you're not going to. Of course, it's you're not going to find the same things we found. And then, of course, they turn around and say, well, see, we told you, you're just nothing but a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? So, uh, again, watch HagmanReport.com for a full expose on this, and I'm going to be doing a, a video on this uh, because this is so important. This is going to be a component. This group of people will is going to be used. They're going to be exploited by the Marxist-Leninists, by the Alinskyites, to create the havoc, the chaos. Again, these are useful idiots that are operating at the end of a string by the string pullers, by the people with power, in order to cause chaos and destruction here in the United States. They are not the, uh, you know, they're they're not the, the the brains behind the operation. They're just merely the pawns. So, that's that's something we're going to get into. But uh, as well, uh, Pizzagate. We talked a lot about that yesterday, and and I want to just tell everyone as as well. I think Pizzagate is probably not the right word to use for what we're seeing uh, being exposed. And and my goodness, my thanks to all of the citizen journalists out there who have exposed so much, who've done a lot of groundbreaking investigation. No, not a hundred. No, it's not a hundred percent accurate. Not everything you read is accurate. Not every reference is accurate or is refers to the the the, the uh, uh, satanic ritual abuse. There there are mistakes out there. That's okay because there's a lot being uncovered. But part of this, the the bigger part of this is that at the epicenter of this incarnation of what you, what the listener, what the viewer understands to be Pizzagate in this incarnation. One of the big, big spokes, the hubs, or I should say, of this operation is the Clinton Foundation. And as I mentioned yesterday, for example, Laura Silsby, who worked with the Clinton Foundation, the Haiti Relief, was down in, in Haiti, uh, following the, uh, uh, destruction down there and of course was conducting this rescue operation with children. Took 33 children crossing the border, got stopped and 
Well, come to find out, not all 33 were were in need of assistance. Some had still had parents, and some thought they were going on a vacation with this person. She was subsequently arrested, of course, and I, and I mentioned this yesterday with John, and, and now, under a different name, she is now working for the Amber Alert System. That is a broad, without getting into the details, that's a very broad uh, characterization of what's taking place. But you, you see, and, and when you look deeply at this, you will find many of the people involved in this have positions of authority over children. Uh, but it gets deeper. So it's the the Washington Comet, the references to Comet Pizza, for example, the business, um, is it, it's bigger than that. It's huge. Whereas Donald Trump says huge, but anyway, it's, it's a lot bigger than what you're what you're seeing. And again, not all not all of it is correct. We are we have, and I told Tom Horn. Um, 800 pages, that 800 pages has now turned into about 1,450 as we speak right now. And I had some uh, dialogue with Tom Horn today, and uh, we're going to be sharing some information because this goes right back to what Russ Dizdar was talking about, has been talking about, the child abductions, the kidnappings, the uh, unsolved crimes, and the refusal. Speaking of the FBI, their refusal in their categorization their refusal to, or, or their uh, classification system, to acknowledge the satanic ritual abuse taking place in America it, it alone. So, but this is bigger than you can even imagine. This this is, involves, as I said yesterday, involves ambassadors and dignitaries of other heads of state, uh, the Department of State here in the United States, and this goes back decades the Franklin cover-up, that was part of it as well. Um, there's there's just so much to this, but the, the satanic component to this is so extreme. Now, we're going to be doing a very special report on this as well. And next week, we're going to have people coming on, like uh, uh, Sean from the SGT report, uh, Brittany Pettibone uh, coming on, and others to talk about specific aspects of this that you perhaps have not heard. And this is necessary because not only do we need to uncover this, but we need to expose this in a very correct fashion, correctly. The evidence, the documentation has to be vetted, fully vetted, because anyone can make accusations. And, yes, sometimes a napkin is just a napkin, or a handkerchief is just sometimes. Other times, not so much. So we have to really vet the information, which brings me to this point right now. The New York Times had uh, recently talked about uh, fake news. And, and you, folks, you know about fake news. The accusations, fake news sites, fake news. And uh, Steve Quayle called me and said, oh, today. And he said, hey, guess what? I was just, uh, uh, I'm, I'm now added to the list of a Russian operative by one of the websites. I said, well, should I call you comrade? You know, and so, so we had a good chuckle over it, but it's not a laughing matter because here's what's taking place. Um, the, according to Oxford Dictionary, the word of the year, do you know what the word of the year for 2016 is according to Oxford Dictionary? Oh, come on, take a guess. 
Oh, Eric, that's uncalled for. That that would never be in a dictionary. No, I'm I'm joking. The word of the year of 2016 has been well, it's post truth. That's the word of the year for 2016, according to Oxford Dictionary. Snowflake? <laughs> uh, that no, I'm not going to go there. But seriously, uh, folks, this is this is important stuff here. And think about this. This goes back to the Tavistock Institute. And for those who are not familiar with the Tavistock Institute, please do your own research on this. John Coleman, a uh, respected author, has done just marvelous work on the Tavistock Institute. Uh, Daniel Estelin has done uh, work as well. I've talked with him and interviewed him. It's uh, he, He's just a knowledgeable guy. But the Tavistock Institute was established back in 1921 by the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And it's grown from then. It's got its official, uh, established officially in, in the seventies, but, but it has its, it has its uh, roots in the RIIA. Now, Tavistock Institute, what they do is they, they form public opinion. Now, let's move forward to today in the word of the year 20, for 2016 is post truth, which is actually post hyphen truth. All right. So what does that mean? Well, let me just cite what, what Oxford uh, says here, the Ox- Oxford Dictionary. It says, an adjective defined as, and I quote, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. You caught that. So, okay. What, the, the question on Oxford uh, Dictionary site why was this word chosen? Well, the concept of post-truth, it's been in existence for the past decade at least. But Oxford Dictionaries has seen a spike in frequency this year in the context of the EU referendum, for example, Brexit, with the UK and, and the presidential, uh, and then here in the United States with the presidential elections. Now, they also write here, and this is important, it has also become associated with a particular noun in the phrase post-truth politics. Okay. Well, and then they go on, post-truth in 2016. Post-truth has gone from being a peripheral term to being a mainstay in political commentary, now often being used by major publications without the need for clarification in definition in their headlines. That, according to the Oxford Dictionary. Well, why is this important today? Let me give you one more thing here. This is a brief history, because the way they build this up and present this does relate to what we know or what has been termed as Pizzagate. It relates to just about any news story that that you come across. All right. The, the, the compound word post-truth exemplifies an expansion in the the meaning of the prefixed post that has become increasingly prominent in recent years rather than simply referring to the time after a specific situation or event obviously they're talking about the word post of this compound word as in post war post match whatever the prefix the prefix in post truth has a meaning more like and i'm quoting now belonging to a time in which the specified concept has become unimportant or irrelevant in other words, can we say lie, perhaps? Anyway, th- th- this nuance seems to have originated 
in the mid-20th century in formation such as post-national, which big in the, the 40s post-World War II. Oh, there I go. <laughs> After World War II and post-racial in the 60s and 70s. Now, I'll just stop there because everyone kind of gets the idea. Now, enter this this operational uh, statement. Hey, everyone say goodbye to my my daughter, Jackie, who's just finishing work here in the studio today. Uh, bye, Jackie. Thank you for a great day today, sweetheart. Jackie's a doll. She's uh, she's working for us, and she's doing a great job, so I just want to say thanks. But fake news in the Internet shell game is a is a column that was written, I believe it appeared in the New York Times, at the end of, well, just, when was it, two days ago, by uh, Michael P. Lynch, who happens to be a professor of philosophy at the University of Connecticut. But here's the deal with this, and how this all ties together. Um, and, and I'm going to quote here from this article extensively. And again, this is by... Michael P. Lynch, L-Y-N-C-H. He's a professor of philosophy at the University of Connecticut. The article is titled Fake News in the Internet Shell Game. Citing heavily from this article, I want to make sure there's proper attribution here. And also I want to explain the reason the reason this is important is because many Christians or self-proclaimed Christians are actually using this particular accusation or this characterization to assail those on the on the uh, Christian conservative, in the Christian conservative media, they are falling victim. They're being they're they're pawns. They're they're useful pawns in this war that's being that's being cultivated by the creators of chaos, by Captain Chaos, you know himself, George Soros, as well as his minions. They're following the Alinsky playbook. The fake news and internet shell game, written by this guy, says, written by this professor, said. Uh, just a few days after the presidential election, I'm, I'm paraphrasing uh, the Oxford English Dictionary crowned its international word of the year as post-truth. And then it goes in, he goes in the definition, and he says, not coincidentally, it was also the year of fake news in which pure fiction masquerading as truth, for example, and, and this is the example he uses here, that like posts that claimed Hillary Clinton used a body double and that Pope Francis had endorsed Donald Trump may have spread wide enough to influence the outcome of the election. So he is, this professor is saying fake news in the context of post-truth, or at least in that, using that as, as the basis for everything we're hearing here uh, today, the fake news was responsible for really the loss, Hillary Clinton's loss, and Donald Trump's victory. Now, it's not stated directly in this particular article, but there are sufficient articles out there, whether it be the Washington Post or Daily Coast, on you know, uh, and other left-leaning or completely left progressive Marxist Linus websites, who are blaming people like Alex Jones and other from Infowars, Roger Stone. Um, us, uh, uh, Hodges, many, many in the alternative media, or what is known as the alternative media, for advancing or for propagating fake news and causing others to believe a fake narrative. 
through the embracing of conspiracy theories, which really cost Hillary the election. So it's us that caused her the uh, cost her the election. But worse than that, it is us, those of us in the alternative media who are actually who, who say they're reporting the truth. We are the ones who are the purveyors of fake news. It's not NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC. No, 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 no. It's us. Yet we can we can cite a dozen examples where. Uh, from Dan Rather. Remember Dan Rather? The, uh, uh, Rathergate? Remember Rathergate? I, I had a paper printed out here with, uh, with a dozen stories that, uh, the, the, the news got not wrong, but woefully wrong, incorrect, and actually did nothing to correct any of, it ruined lives. I mean, they, they ruined lives. But, you know, you remember, uh, well, how about that? How about the truck? What was it, Dateline? When they, um, uh, when they staged the accident using one of the trucks, what was it, a GM truck, and it exploded, and they said, look, 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 it's dangerous. Remember that, that story? That was, that was, that was all staged. But yet, that's not fake news. We, are the purveyors of fake news. And if you don't believe the obvious, if you don't believe the people, the obvious people, you know, the, the people who, who are part of the journalistic society, if you don't believe them, just ask some self-proclaimed Christians, operators of websites. But this is going to be, in my view, the most important story, the most important part, next to what is known as Pizzagate in this country between now and the end of the year. Uh, Barring something really bad taking place, you know, barring a, a... Well, you know what I'm talking about. This is going to form or be the basis for censorship. This is going to be the basis for um, for I, I don't want to say ridicule because that, that's that's really not important. I suppose censorship is is really what what's key here. You're having many social network sites. Facebook, Twitter, censoring actual vetted news stories, calling it fake news. And I say vetted news stories. I'm talking about vetted news stories. I'm talking about um, certain elements of, of Pizzagate that have been that have been vetted. The monetary side, which we will get into, it's really not not a critical part of this, but when you look at some of the, when you start following the money and you see the relationships, monetary and otherwise, of some of the principles involved in what is known as Pizzagate, you'll see that, wait a minute, oh this, this there not only is there smoke here, but there's fire and there is validation of facts citizen journalists got it right 
in the mainstream corporate captured corporate media, the Illuminati mass controlled media, mass controlled media. No. They were either AWOL or they got it wrong. Or they deliberately, deliberately, um, twisted the story. This is, this is the basis. Right now, this, this fake news and what is called the internet shell game here by this author will be the basis. We'll set the stage. This is the infrastructure that is being employed, being used, being built by the Marxist Leninist right now to take us down, to take InfoWars down, or attempt to, you know what I'm saying, attempt to do this. Any person attempting to uh, to advance the truth or to expose the works of darkness, especially if you have a Christian bias or a Christian perspective, worldview, whatever you want to call it, this is what it will be employed. This is their the biggest tool in their toolbox is labeling us the fake news. Do not underestimate the power behind this particular designation. And I truly believe, left unchecked, this will, not only the censorship part of it, but there will be an element of criminality that will be imposed here as a result of this. Not only, not just the censorship and criminality, but the other side of it too. There's another part of this that, that... not too many people know about. And that's the lawfare aspect of things. Yeah. You want to shut someone up, just go ahead and sue them. Or you want to try to shut someone up, go ahead and sue them. Well, you can sue anybody for anything in America. Trust me when I tell you that. When the justice system, the legal system in America becomes a weapon of the left... And a successful weapon, at least in terms of attempting to bankrupt another, to take that person out. That's diabolical to the core. But that's what's going to be happening under the designation of fake news. That's what's happening today. And uh, under the designation of fake news. And the qualifier post-truth. So if you haven't heard that, you're going to be hearing more and more and more about that. So under, when you, when you look at the stories, for example, you look at the articles, and when I have said, yes, you've got this challenge to the uh, election. You've got the war against the Electoral College. And people blow it off. They say, oh, it's not going to matter. You got the, the recounts. We see it didn't matter. It's not the, it's not the issue. That's, it is not the, the, uh, the fact that it's not going to be successful. To me, that's not the issue. And I don't think that should be to you either. The process, the tactics, the underlying operatives and operation that is being conducted. That's the important part. Because once you understand the rules of radicals, rules for radicals, the Saul Alinsky rules, and how they are employed, once you understand this this horrendous, um, pejorative, fake news 
designation. The uh, the ridicule of anyone who attempts to bring forth the truth. Just look at the birth certificate issue. It was about the birth certificate. It wasn't about where he was born. It was about constitutional eligibility. They changed the topic. For example, it doesn't. It wouldn't matter, you know, physically if he was born in the United States. If if it, it goes to lineage, but but. The only reason I bring this up is because to them, to the to the accusers and to the people who are attempting to rewrite history and change the narrative, they divert from the core elements of the argument. Fake news. This will be the, in my view, the biggest news story along with what's known as Pizzagate between now and the end of the year. And there are other things at the periphery of, of all of that, including the exploitation of, of uh, events and people to create a civil war-like environment. We said it before. My intelligence source said it. Timing was off. But remember, plans change. The objectives don't. So we're seeing today what my intelligence source said what four years ago five years ago it's all coming to pass right now and these are some of the tools that are being used I'm going to come back I can't wait I'm going to come back with uh, with our very special guest Saeed Abedin he was a uh, he was in prison in Iran three years yeah going to talk to him about his experiences. Stay right where we're at, folks. You know, it is so great when you've got the opportunity to speak with a real, in my view, a hero, a, a, a Christian who does not back down, does not back away from his faith, his mission, a man who, uh, in, in the face of tremendous adversity, <laughs> unthinkable adversity, scary adversity, stands firm in his belief and his actions. And I, I remember, and folks, you, I'm sure you remember hearing about the American Christian pastor who was imprisoned in Iran. His name is Saeed Abedini. And, and this man for three years was a, was a captive of Iran while the Obama regime fiddled while Valerie Jarrett fiddled. But maybe that's not the story. The story is the fact that he did not back down. He did not acquiesce. In the face of the, the most tremendous adversity, adversity that you and I will not face in our lifetimes, perhaps, 
This man stood firm in his faith. And as I read about his plight in advance of tonight's program and read about his everything that, that he endured, he became more and more and more of a hero to me. An example. Maybe hero is not the right word. I don't know. But certainly an example of someone who really, a Christian, I mean purely, a pure definition of a Christian. And I want to thank John Robertson for uh, for being, you know, setting this interview up because this man I've wanted to talk to for so long. And John, thank you. And I know you're listening. Thank you so much for your efforts. And in, 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 but Saeed Abedini to me is a uh, is a true Christian in every sense of the word. Before we get to him, I, something lighter, a little bit lighter here. You know, the holidays are coming up, and if you're struggling to find that that perfect gift. OmahaSteaks.com. That, that, that's all you have to remember. OmahaSteaks.com. Put HH in the search bar. If you're struggling to find the perfect gift for someone who has it all, let me tell you that I've had so many compliments on the gifts that I have sent from Omaha Steaks and the packages I have received from Omaha Steaks. Right now, let me tell you the special right now. OmahaSteaks.com. For forty nine ninety nine, under fifty dollars, listeners to this show can get my family gift pack. When you go to allmostakes.com and enter my code HH in the search bar, that's a seventy seven percent savings. And here's what you get, and here's what I have cooked up at the Hagman household: yeah, two fillet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four chicken breasts, and they are so succulent. Four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, and 12-ounce package of all-beef meatballs. And I've had them in in sandwiches and plain and and, in spaghetti and such. Oh, they're just tremendous. Four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning seasoning packet. And with this order, you get four additional kielbasa sausages free. And let me tell you that the seasoning packet, when you use that with the steaks, oh, how succulent the steaks are, and the, the flavor is just, it would beat any steakhouse. You can have a steak right in your home. I, I use the, the, we at the Hagman household order from Omaha Steaks. We've, we've actually cooked up the, uh, filet mignons on the, on the grill using their steak seasoning. Had Eric, the tech, and uh, my daughter over as well, and rave reviews. So, folks, go to omahasteaks.com, enter my code HH in the search bar, add the family gift pack to your cart, and get 77% savings. It's the it's a gift that's guaranteed to be a hit, and buy one for yourself, too. omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. You're going to love it, and so will your gift recipients as well. Just a little bit of levity here to break up, uh, to break up the uh, intensity. I'm so pleased to welcome Saeed Abedini to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Pastor Abedini, welcome, sir. Hello, thank you for having me here tonight. I, I must tell you that I consider you an example of the Christian, example of being a Christian. Um, and in preparation for tonight's interview, I was, was try, attempting to think of what to ask you first. Uh, and... Why don't, I'll tell you what, why don't you start out, if you don't mind, 
by by introducing yourself to to our listeners, rather than me try to focus on something that may you might not feel as important. Uh, tell a little bit about who you are. Uh, first of all, I need to give all this glory to God and Jesus Christ as a one uh, who just give me the strength to stand up, you know, for His glory and for my. Uh, faith and uh, my salvation that was all by his grace and so I just give all the credit to God and um, so as you know I'm 36 years old man and uh, when I was just 20 years old I turned to Christ when I was very strong Muslim you know I was 14 years old when I joined Hezbollah group to attack Israel and um, so I had a very you know and strong uh, Muslim life before I became Christian at age of 20. And uh, so actually a pastor from Assemblies of God in Iran told me Jesus is the Lord and Savior. And then I made the decision to kill that pastor before I kill myself. So, and uh, the same night when I was, you know, sitting on my bed to start praying to God to show me what is the truth. And I just got the Bible in hand and the Quran in other hand. I just knee down and start crying to God and beg Him to show me what which one is true. Because I got a doubt in that time, in that night. And I just, uh, you know, it was the night that completely changed my life. And uh, I just turned to Christ. Okay. Wow. All right. Now, this, okay, so this is pre-incarceration. Is, is this your convert? Obviously, it's pre-incarceration, but, but it's, it's, you, you gave your life to Christ and you said, you, did you set out to become a missionary? And because I know you're in a, you, you hold dual, dual citizenship in Iran and America. Um, I, I guess I, I'm kind of interested too of, of how you, well, what what led you back to Iran to uh, to preach the gospel? What? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm Actually, that you know that night that changed my whole life has another part of story. When I was just in the midnight, I heard a voice woke me up at the two in the midnight at night and call my name like that. Said, Said, I'm coming back soon, soon. Go to preach my gospel, my gospel. So I woke up. I heard that voice and no one was in the room, I slept. The second time and the third time, I heard like a huge voice, like a bomb shaking the wall. I woke up and I saw a huge light in my room and it was like a million times more shining than sun. So just a second, I got so scared, I felt the strong presence of Lord and me that I never experienced it before in any praying, like a Muslim namaz. So and I saw a huge light, and uh, then I find it out how Jesus, as a God and as a human, can be in one person. And then I said, "Amen," and I could look inside the light, and I saw Jesus uh, in the middle of night and uh, light, and just told me, "Said, go to preach my gospel. I'm coming back soon. Go to preach my gospel." And I said, "Amen," and then I fell down like a dead person on my bed and went back to sleep and he you know jesus went in through the uh my room window which was uh under the mountain you know he went to the mountain which under the, that mountain was even prison that i became prisoner for christ later uh you know uh five years ago so the day after that i just went to street parks universities and i just obeyed my lord's commands and start sharing the gospel start evangelism 
And uh, so, and after that, so many people turned to Christ. Uh, we started a group of five, and then they turned to 50, 500, 5,000, so it became what's one of the largest churches in Iran Christianity history. I started in 30 cities, 100 underground churches all over Iran in cities that they never had any churches before. And so I've been witness of seeing so many people get healed, and so many lives have been changed after that. And uh, so God's signs and wonders were working so amazingly, and uh, the church were increasing so fast. So during that time, you know, intelligent police of Iran find it out because my story got famous in Iran, and they took me to prison, interrogation, arrested me so many times. I've been arrested, you know, about 12 times this time that you heard on the news was that number 12. It wasn't the first time. So I didn't have any other choice, so I just escaped from Iran to Dubai and Turkey, and um, I came to the United States, you know, uh, 10 years ago, and then... I was here going to churches, speaking churches, sharing my testimony, encouraging believers and helping the churches to get revival back, you know, get uh, revival and get back to God. So, and then one day, Holy Spirit told me, go back to Iran. And so I said, Lord, if I go back, you know, they're going to kill me. I already have cases. I know. But Lord told me, go back. I have work to do. So I just obeyed and then go back to Iran. I met church leaders and I encouraged so many Christians in Iran start the orphanage. And then I got arrested, which, you know, the, the rest of the story on media. So uh, I've been watching that how God, you know, is working in a country that no missionaries is allowed to go there. And, you know, God is visiting people with the dreams, vision, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who went on the cross 2,000 years ago for us to pay the punishment of sin, you know, which is dead on the cross for us, and He Himself, again, humbled Himself, like 2,000 years ago, go to the dream and vision of the people that no missionaries, and, uh, you know, they don't have any... Bible and no missionaries is allowed to go there. Jesus himself humbles himself again and he just goes to see people and meet people in his dreams and vision as he did to me. So I have stories of stories that you just can see people in the street that they met Jesus in their dreams and vision and like me personally face to face and they turn to Christ and that's always amazed me how humble and amazing Lord we have as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Oh, amen. You've got such an interesting background because you you were a former Muslim. You converted to Christianity in 2000. And then, I mean, you, you went out and you began to spread the gospel. And, and you did it in really hostile territory. Um, and you're, what you're saying, what I... What I what I believe you're saying is that, um, I mean, you received a personal, up-close-and-personal message from our Lord and Savior saying, hey, go out and spread the word, spread the gospel. This is this is what you need to do. I'm coming back soon, and you need to go out in, behind enemy lines and do this. Um, that, that's that's what you're doing. I mean, that's what you did. And and how, how, so you went you, when you went to the, when you went to Iran during a period when Christian you know, you you could not spread the gospel. Um, did you have a plan? I mean, did, did you, because you established really a hundred 
more than 100 house churches in 30 Iranian cities, as you mentioned. So many thousands of members. Um, you know, I mean, you did this, and then, of course, Ahmadinejad uh, was elected in 05, and there was a big crackdown. But but you continued, despite the crackdown. And, and I guess I don't have to tell you your story, but uh, just reminding people out there. So you're... Um, uh, you went back to Iran in '09 to visit your family, and then I guess we probably should cover this. What happened when you went back in 2009 to visit your family? Uh, you know, it's not a hard thing to do when you see Jesus is asking you to do what He already did it for you before. You know. Mm-hmm. He asked me to go to preach the gospel and share the good news with people when he himself already came to my room and gave me the good news himself, you know, to me by the eye contact, face to face. So he did it for me, and then he asked me to just repeat what he did to me. So uh, it's kind of like every time that he's asked me to do something that's kind of like threads my life or I should put my life in a risk, and I just remember he already asked me to do that when he just did it for me. He just humbled himself. Just imagine. He came to the room that I'm living and he just met my soul. You know, he he met me. So it's kind of like every time that I remember that meeting with God, give me that courage and encourage me to just go and kind of like fighting with the lion, you know, to preaching the gospel and trying to uh, evangelize the people that they can be saved from the hands of Satan. So, uh, yeah, all the time, you know, when I just remember, I got so encouraged, and uh, so many times, you know, I've been arrested, but all the time I could see any time that I went in danger and in darkness, he was there, and mm-hmm. his grace was there. And, you know, His grace, that's enough. It's enough, you know, in any situation. And when I was, I remember when I was in solitary confinement, I was surrounded with walls and guards and dogs, you know, like I couldn't do anything. It was just me and God. But all the time, I can say like every second, every second I could feel the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit is nourishing and cherishing me. And, you know, wiping out all my tears, give me courage to say, you're going to be out, don't listen to them, and you're going to be testified for me, which I'm doing tonight. So, it is an honest and faithful God, you know, and so little by little, I just, through all these circumstances, I learned how to trust Him more and more, and uh, as my... Lord and Savior, and it's my Father that He always protect me and care about me, and uh, He knows, actually, you know, He knows, you know, people who are listening right now, I know they need this word, that He knows where He's sending you to, and He's going to take care of everything. You know, that is so inspiring, because here in the West, in America, or if you're, wherever, we've got listeners all over the world, uh, people, in fact, I just got an email from someone listening in the UK live, um, and we have a lot of listeners in, in the West, and uh, obviously, and, and of course, um, 
your your account is so inspirational. We in the West here tend to think that, um, well, my goodness, you know, adversity or attacks on us. You know, it's 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 horrible. Oh my goodness, you know, they're attacking me for my faith. But you, you were facing at one point the death penalty in Iran. I don't know how many people know that. Um, you you were arrested by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard. Uh, they confiscated your passports, put you under house arrest, put you in the Evan prison. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> back in mid-January 2013, you were going to go on trial, um, and you faced the death penalty. But through all of that, you remained, I, I can I guess optimistic is not the right word. You remained faithful, meaning full of faith, having, you had the faith that you would prevail, that God would be there with you? That's what you're saying, right? I mean, you never doubted. You never doubted. Wow. How how many of us... That's why, you know, that's that's amazing. When you see God is putting you in some kind of like this situation, that you, every minute you get the threat and you see people going for execution every Wednesday and, you know, like every Wednesday still they do it in Rajaisha prison, you know, which is Wednesday night. Every Wednesday they take tens of prisoners for execution. And you could see all of them in front of your eyes, you know, every time that in 10 minutes they're going to be dead, they're going to be gone forever. And so, but every time that I went through this kind of like this situation, I could see easily the Holy Spirit comes and grace of God covering you inside and outside and help you to stand up, to not be scared and to just keep your faith stronger and stronger that you could rejoice, you know, rego- rejoice in the Holy Spirit for all the suffering that you are going through, you know. So it's completely sure. God gives something opposite that in a natural life we can experience. as a So we can experience something supernaturally when you go there to see that how God's grace is just give you strength to stand up. And then, you know, I learn little by little how I can rejoice in my suffering, how I can rejoice in my pain, and how I can rejoice in the midst of the suffering and persecution. So sometimes, first we want to start walking with God, we are so scared, we are just like, we feel the pain, we just see the things that we are losing every day, every minute, you know, I just, I couldn't see my kids for, you know, Years, I did. I couldn't see how they grow. When I, mm. you know, left them, they were like three, four. When I came back, they were like eight, nine. So I just missed that time. So that that was so hard for me. And you know, all the friends, relationships that you had, it was so hard. You know, but little by little, you learn how you can change your tear to the joy. And, you know, how you can change your cry to the laugh, you know, and smile to God and just rejoice and find the joy in the midst of suffering. And that was the thing, actually, the Holy Spirit amazed me there as, you know, the experience of walking with God that I had in prison. Were you able, when you were incarcerated, were you, did you have any dialogue with other prisoners? Did you, were you, were you able to spread the gospel within the confines of the prison at all, or were you just kept strictly in solitude? 
I was in solitary for first month, but after that I got, uh, you know, when I got my uh, sentence of eight years, they sent me to the public prison uh, called uh, 350. So it was like hundreds of uh, political prisoners were there and so many people that like high educated and genius people that were there that... uh, they had been, uh, you know, got sentenced of death and 10 years of prison because of helping our government to get some access about information from the nuclear sites. So they called them American spy. So when I went there, they became my, my best and my closest friends. And because they loved America, they were Iranian, very educated. Some of them, they were studying here in Texas and other cities. And they came back and they got working in a nuclear site. And then they find out Iran government is trying to get access to some, uh, you know, to making bomb. So they pass all information to uh, CIA and then Iran government find it out and they arrested them. And some of them, they have been, you know, they have been executed, but some of them, they got 10 years of, you know, a 10 years sentence. So these people, because they love America and they love human rights, I call them human rights fighters, but Iran government call them a spy. So they became my best friends. There was like hundreds of them. So, and then I start sharing the gospel with them. And because they were so open to me and because they knew I'm an American citizen, they were so open to me. So very fast, we got a very close relationship. I shared the gospel with them and tens of people, you know, like in the first, um, I can say the first two, three months when I went to the public prison, like tens of people turned to Christ. And we had an amazing time, how we prayed. I'm trying to write a book and maybe make a movie in future about that. If God wants me to do that. How, you know, beautiful we prayed. High, you know, we were always under cameras. And uh, so guards were watching me, especially me. They called me special prisoner. So, but God, you know, Holy Spirit lead us to how we can Bible study together and pray together in a, like a, like a restroom or in a, like a bed, you know, hide ourselves some places that we could find to pray together and how we got communion together in prison. You know, it was amazing stories at the way that they gave their heart to Jesus. And the last person who became Christian with me was just like the last uh, last several uh, months before I got just uh, free from prison. And he was in prison for 17 years, and he got a you know, life sentence. And his name is Khaled. He was Arab, and he... he he just came and he saw, he told me that I saw a dream in a night that Jesus came from the mountain down to the prison and he had someone with him and his name was Saeed and I saw you in a dream years mm-hmm. before I came to, back to Iran and got arrested. Wow. And so, I was wow. waiting for you until you come and tell me what is the message that I need to know. And he was 17 years in Rajoisha prison that I went there for three, two, two years. And then I was like, okay, good, you know, hallelujah. I just shared the gospel and, you know, I just shared the gospel with him. And I told him, yeah, Jesus is the shepherd. And what you saw that the stick that you saw in his head is just a sign that he's a shepherd. We are the lamb of God and I'm one of the lambs. And you, what the dream that you see? And he knows my name actually. So, and then just in 
he gave his heart to Jesus and accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And we had pray like every night, five hours each night. And uh, together, just imagine a person who just turns to Christ. You know, I've been praying, you know, in solitary like 21 hours each day. You know, I just slept three sure. or four hours, you know. But this, like a new believer, was praying with me five hours each day. And he was just still was thirsty for God. And he was so thirsty for God and, you know, hungry for the Word of God. So he had amazing stories that I'm going to, you know, write now, in a it, book. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Now, is he still incarcerated, or, or what? what, what uh, no, I got a problem to find a good publisher. <laughs> still, I couldn't find a good publisher, an agent. So, uh, you know, I'm just kind of like need to know. Uh, God guide me <laughs> to find some people that I can get a good publishers and, you know, and uh, good writers. It just, But if everything is in my mind. It's just ready. I can just I know you can. Saeed, hold that thought. Uh, we have a break for about three minutes. Just stay right where you are. We're going to be right back with Saeed Abedini. My goodness, what, a, what an inspirational story. Stay right, stay right, right, stay right back. special guest is Saeed Abedini, 36 years old. He is an Iranian-American Christian pastor. Folks, he was in prison in Iran for three years, and uh, he faced uh, eight years in prison, uh, a sentence. He he faced the death penalty. He was in solitary. Um, All for creating, bringing many, many, many people to Jesus Christ. Pastor uh, Sayyid Abedini was a uh, Shia Muslim who converted to Christianity and then spread the gospel all across Iran when it was not legal to do so, not lawful to do so, converting converting many and established uh, uh, numerous uh, underground churches, places of worship, and what a what a what a fantastic story! I mean, uh, you talk about. Listening to him, there's absolutely no reason that we here in America cannot cannot uh, uh, emulate uh, Saeed Abedini. We cannot go out and, and certainly preach the gospel. He established about 100 house churches in 30 Iranian cities with more than 2,000 members, all under the most adverse conditions you, you could ever imagine. Before we get back to Mr. Abedini, I just want to mention that... Uh, uh, well, have you heard about Master Preps? Masterpreps.com. Have you gone there yet? Christmas is just right around the corner. And Masterpreps.com is a great place to do your last-minute shopping or shopping period. They have all of your outdoor camping, prepping, and survival needs covered from your tents to backpacks to hunting scopes to everything you can imagine. They've got over 20,000 products at masterpreps.com. More are being added daily. They've got a Doug special there. I urge everyone to check that out. They have anything and everything you need for your survival. 
in preparation, in camping, in recreation. It's, and it's all on sale and it's all competitively priced. So get yourself or your loved one something great this holiday season and get it on sale at masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Would urge everyone to go there. Now, again, our very special guest, Saeed Abedini. Uh, Pastor Abedini, I, I've got to ask, you were released in, uh, January of this year, just Nine months ago, ten months ago, I'm sorry, ten months ago. Uh, your part, the conditions of your release, um, well, there were questions because the American government had paid like four hundred million dollars cash uh, to the Iranian government. Do you know much about the back goings on there with respect to your release and and, and the government payment? Yes, as I said to my interview on uh, Fox News to Trisha Reagan, you know, I was just uh, in the airport when they took us from the Evin prison to uh, Mehrabad airport to just, uh, you know, get to the streets of Lene Pray and just get free forever, you know, and then yeah. it just, it was, they told me it take two, 20 minutes, but it took 20 hours, and then I just, you know, we had the time to sh- uh, talk with the intelligence, uh, boss of intelligence, police of prison, I mean, which is a very important person, so, and I knew that I'm going to be free, you know, in, you know, a couple hours, and they cannot stop it because of the agreement that we could follow up on news in Iran. So I just start sharing the gospel with that intelligent police before, you know, we go there. And I was like asking him, why took, you said it's going to be, you know, just 20 minutes. Why took like about 20 hours? And he just, I just start sharing the gospel with him. I said, you know, I just came here to love the people and the message I have for the people of Iran and, and you know, 80 million of Iranian people. It's just, just God loves them who were the flesh 2,000 years ago, came on the earth, and, you know, he paid the punishment of sin, which is dead on the cross, and everyone who believes him, to him is going to be saved, and asked him as if, you know, in his heart as a Savior and Lord, he's going to be, you know, saved, and all your sin can be clean just by believing on Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and all of your, you know, sin can be washed away with His blood. And then, when I was just trying to tell him about that, you know, message of salvation, that Jesus is right behind your the heart, you know, and just wants to get the control of your life and save you and love you and enter you to the eternal life, and then he opened up his heart to me. And he said, say, there is another plane that it's in the argument. If that plane doesn't take up, we never let you go out. And we, we're going to take you back to prison because that's part of argument. And that plane has the money in it. And I was like, wow. So I just like, okay, he is just, because I know, you know, I learned to not trust interrogators because all this interrogation that I've been, you know, hundreds of hours. So I said he is trying to play with me psychologically. So I, I told him our government never give you, you know, I thought, you know, just they want to exchange the prisoners that Iran have in the United States, some criminal that helped, you know, uh, Iran government to buy something for a nuclear side. So I said our government never give you exchanges for prison or give us, give you money. And he said, I'm, I'm telling you, that's the truth. So anyway, you know, the day after that, we just left the country and came to U.S. and then months after that, the news, I find it out, it was another plane. So, uh, 
the rest of the story that we find about it was about the cash or maybe gold or four hundred million dollar. So and I was you know I didn't like it actually because I didn't I don't want that the Iran government has this bunch of money in their hands because we all know that they're going to use it for the you know terrorist plans and and kind you know kind of like talking about the protest inside you know ninety percent of Iranians are against their government. That's the thing that Americans need to know. So this country is ready is really ready to be changed. You know with just a small push, you know. I hope Donald Trump, you know, is going to do that, you know. He, and just with a small push, the government or regime in Iran can be changed. And then we can preach the gospel easily there, and I believe millions going to turn to Christ. That's my vision from the first day. Lord told me, you know, millions going to turn to Christ in Iran. And the process has been started, and we have million brothers and sisters that are still under this you know, evil government of a Republic of Islamic Republic of Iran. If that regime be changed, we can preach the gospel, and they're going to add to the church. So, uh, I think that's the time is coming, and I'm praying that uh, God opens some new door for me that I can continue preaching the gospel to this Muslim in Iran. And I believe million going to start to Christ pretty soon. So you believe in. And I'm glad that you do. You believe that we are in the throes, or could be, I suppose, in the throes of a revival, of a true turning back to, to or winning hearts to, 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 to God, the true God of the Bible and to Jesus Christ. You believe it. That, uh, that, that's, that's happening and can happen, right? Yes, that's my, uh, faith. And I believe revival has been started in the United States of America. And revival has been started in Iran and in Italy. So we see things that maybe doesn't make sense right now. But uh, the way that Donald Trump got elected, you know, I had a prophecy. You know, I just told Huffington Post about my prophecy about Donald Trump when Lord told me about him when I was in solitary confinement four years ago. So, and I just put on my Facebook that he's going to be president and... Lord told me he's going to be president. He is elected, and he is chosen for God. And I called him Cyrus, uh, King Cyrus of modern day. And I believe he is going to enter the world to the new millennium. And it's going to be big, you know. And we never saw a president like him before. That's my belief and my faith. You know, it just if you go to my Facebook last, you know, month, several months, it's just about what's going on. God is doing in the United States. And I believe revival has been started in the United States. Since the first day I came to U.S., you know, in churches, then I went to speak, you know, especially last 10 months. Every people, they ask me, just pray, revival, come back. And I did, I prayed, you know, hundreds, hundreds of hours, I prayed for our beloved country, America, that revival come back, especially when I was in prison. I had lots of free time. So I prayed for our country a lot, that revival come back. But when I was, you know, in a capital building, and I was meeting some congressmen and senators who came and welcomed me, and word of God came on me and told me revival has been started in this country. And it was 10 months ago when one of the congressmen, he was an old guy, he came, grabbed my arms, and he was kind of like begging me and crying, say, please pray for this country. This country is really in need. We are in really, you know, huge need. 
and he was crying, and I was like, wow, that's, that's, he has the revival, he's a congressman, and I didn't believe politicians, you know, until that day, and I was like, wow, he has the, you know, he has, you know, some burden on his heart for our country that, and then I told him something that I never believed until that day, and I said, revival has been started, and I was like, oh, why I said that? So I don't believe that. But, and then I went to my room, start praying, and Holy Spirit revealed to me has been started. And we are living in the last days. We, every day, we're gonna see, like, you see that last week, you know, how the terrorists, you know, they just fired the whole Israel, you know, well, that's fire in Tennessee here, and all things that terrorist attack that we see is just getting more and more and worse and worse. These are the sign of last, you know, days and years, and we are living in the last time. So I believe, I believe we are living in the last time, and we're gonna we're gonna experience the revival here in the United States. And in Iran, millions gonna turn, and in Middle East, Muslims, you know, millions of Muslims gonna turn to Christ. It's the time that God wants to, to give the gift of revelation of Jesus Christ as His Son and His Savior, you know, for us. So we are living in a, you know, very serious and very, uh, spiritual time that, uh, we need to preach the gospel to million, and I think that way, kind of like, kind of like, uh, mixed with the politics this time, I believe, because of that, God choose Donald Trump, anoint him, and he's going to make some decision that is going to make and help us to preach the gospel in the Middle East in the future, I believe. And you know, I just had a vision when I was solitary confinement about him, and uh, I was praying. And then I saw a vision in Solary. I was like hours and hours praying. And then it was just like six months that I got arrested. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a vision that I'm sitting and I'm talking with a young man with a blue eye and blonde hair. And I, we got friends. And then some voice told me, he's going to be a next president of the United States and you are friends with him. And I was like, what, what, you know, who am I to be a friend with the you know, U.S. president? I'm just like, look at my situation. I'm just like sitting on the dust in a solitary confinement. They already told me you're going to receive the punishment of death. And I said, who am I? And he just, and it was the time that, you know, when uh, Hillary Clinton was a uh, foreign minister and when they arrested me, I knew that they, t- you know, uh, they told us that, we can't do anything for him. Do you think it's a Hollywood movie that we go in Iran and rescue him? It's his fault why he went to go back when he was arrested so many times. And it seems logical, you know. And I was like, they don't care about me, you know. I said, they said it's my fault, and I just follow what Holy Spirit led me. So it's not U.S. government responsibility. It's Jesus Christ's responsibility because he was the one that sent me back to Iran. And just so, and then I saw that vision. And that man was very young. And so after, you know, two years after that, when I went to Rajaisha, and, you know, last month, like, I had access to have my cell phone in, in prison in Iran. Mm-hmm. And the last six months, we had this technology in Iran that we could access to, from our internet to, uh, you know, from our cell phone to internet. And it was scoring down, you know, on some Facebook. And then suddenly, you know, I just, look at all the candidates that they just came to competition for presidency and I saw all of them they are older than the, you know the face that I saw 
Well, like maybe that reason is for next 10 years or 20 years. So he's wow. going to be president. And then he's not there. And okay, I was just, and like after my, but I was always looking to the candidate, like 20, 30 of them. And actually, Rand Paul was the kind of like a, one of them looked like younger with a blue eye, blonde hair, sure. handsome. And he was actually advocating for me. So strong, and he called my name, sent a letter to Iran government, and I knew it even I was in prison because my dad came every week and told me stories. And I was like, no, this is not the one. And then my wife got this very close friend with Ted Senator Ted Cruz. He was like a member of our family, you know. He was helping, my, you know, advocating for me, meeting, you know, my family so many times. I met him a month ago in his office, and the Lord told me, no, he is not going to be the president. And then I was like, maybe it's for 10 years or 20 years, next 10 years or 20 years. And then one day, after a month, when I was scrolling down on my Facebook, and I saw a face of that young man that I saw in a reason, like two and a half or three years ago. And so I started shaking, you know. I started saying, oh my gosh, this is the one that I saw in it my dream and then I, when I click on it I saw it was the Donald Trump when he was young oh my and okay. I was wow. like oh my god this is amazing he's going to be the president and so and I didn't know who Donald Trump is you know because I didn't grow up in US I just right. knew some famous people like maybe like George W. Bush or like Michael Jackson or something like people, but I didn't know who Donald Trump is as a billionaire or businessman in the U.S. until that day. And I thought, this is the one. So I just told my family on the phone that he's going to be the president and I'm going to support him because I know he's chosen by God. And they told me, you don't, you don't need to get involved in politics, you know, you're a pastor. I was like, I know, he's, people need to know he's the chosen by God. Like, for, you know, carrying this important position. And I'm going to do that. So when I came back to U.S., I got some problem that you probably know about, you know, some marriage problem and conflict. So I was so busy just solving these problems and, you know, trying to find myself. You know, I had so many uh, hard situations, you know, spiritually and emotionally, financially. Still, I mean, it. so I kind of like, uh, and then, but it was so strong in my heart and then one day I was like I need to just let the people know and it was the time that I saw Hillary Clinton numbers got higher and his hair score got higher than Donald Trump and I was like the Christian needs to know he is the one that God chose so I was like kind of like wants to help <laughs> so I just shared my prophecy with the Huffington Post and I shared on my Facebook until we got elected and I was like okay praise Lord <laughs> and then I just find it out that he met you know in that time I find it out that he asked uh, my uh, wife uh, that time to go to the Trump Tower he met there and he called my name so many times and he gave $10,000 gift to my wife and so he was kind of like knowing me and calling my name I feel I never called talked to him not seeing him but I feel that friendship with him and I hope I can see him one day so soon yeah. my goodness Saeed I mean that's an amazing story 
uh, Donald Trump helping you. And you mentioned Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. No help whatsoever from her. She was in a position to help you. She didn't help you. This is what I'm hearing. Yet Donald Trump, uh, really having nothing to gain, helped you and your family out. Is is that right? Yeah, that's true. He didn't have a position, but he did the job. I love Hillary Clinton. I love everyone, and I pray for her. And, uh, yeah, she had a position that time, especially the first six months. But I, I pray for, you know, Clinton family. I know maybe it's hard situation after, you know, this election, and I, I pray for their salvation and their life and blessing upon them. But that's the difference of the person who is chosen by God. For exactly. some mission, and so God equip them and lead them, and God walk with them, and God is going to choose them in a time that they didn't even know that they, you know he's going to be president. So God showed me when he was young that he grabbed him and he just chose him, kind of like, or maybe better thing is to equip him and make him in prepare for the president of the United wow. States. So, and I think he has been chosen in a time, and he probably knows about his young age, what happened to him. Maybe he find it out that time that he's going to be the president, and he kept it in his heart. Because when I was, you know, searching, you know, I, you know, so many times I, when I get some vision or guidance from Holy Spirit, I'm test, I, you know, I'm just going to test it. Is this from God or not? I just like put it on hold sometimes that God confirmed this is from God or not. So I just do some search researches, you know, some searches about his life and then I find it out that the time that he was kind of like the the interview that he had with some of the people in his young age and they asked him, Do you think you're gonna be president? And he's kind of the way that he answered, but not completely no. He's just if he sees the country is going right direction, he's gonna do that. So and it was right. it was a prophecy. You know, that happened. Country went to the wrong direction. And he came right. and he became the president. So he didn't know that he is prophesying about his life. <laughs> you know it- Exactly. He did. So, yeah, he did. Because he has been chosen in that time, you know, and Holy Spirit was grabbing him, even in all, all circumstances that he went through. You know, so many people, when I just post on my Facebook about him, why he, his life is not good, He's, he doesn't have a holy life, he has been, just look at what he did in his life. I said, that's the way, that's the grace of God. God always chooses the sinners for himself. Exactly. He's going to get all the glory, you know. That's the way he does. So you don't read your Bible very well. <laughs> and uh, we all are, you know, slow men that we just, we, we have a time that we are experiencing ourselves, sins, and world. But God is just with us and step by step helping us to be, you know, uh, in a good spiritual shape and position that he can use us one day. Oh man, what a, what a what a fascinating uh, account, Saeed. And you are truly an inspiration to to me. And I know that many people. I, I've just glanced over at the emails uh, all throughout the United States, and um, you know, even in Europe, uh, people saying uh, just just glowing terms about your faith and uh, hoping that they can 
they can uh, you know be like you in the face of adversity. How can we best help you? Say we got about two minutes left. Is there any? I mean, do you have a do you have a church? Do you have? Uh, is there any? How can our audience best help Saeed Abedin? I have a ministry called uh, Saeed Ministries and website pastorsaeedministries.com. But my desire is go to churches for events and preaching the gospel because I want to be obedient to the Lord and Savior that He would just meet me face to face and ask me for this, you know, great command: go to preach my gospel. I'm coming back soon. Go to preach my gospel. So I, I I would love to go to churches and encourage people for their faith and help you know America back get back to revival and uh, so that's my desire and uh, I I just um, you know people pray for me that God open doors for me to preach gospel to more and more people to million people especially for home America that's my heart for you know. These people fight for me for long, you know. Everywhere that I go, I see people, they prayed for me for years and years. Maybe now they are hearing, you know, my voice, the people that they prayed for me for years and years. And I feel some responsibility to help, you know, uh, revival back to this country and encourage people with my story and my testimony and uh, just help people to... and. Uh, advise them kind of like to sacrifice something for God and uh, that's what's going to help us to uh, get the, like a more deeply relationship with God and spiritual growth so we all have something that still we can sacrifice for God in our uh, maybe in our marriage situation maybe in our finance maybe in our relationship maybe in our business or university or family or finance everything if, if we can do something still it hurts and it's still it has it's some suffering in it or some uh, you know it's sacrifice you know we all need to make sure that there is pressure in our life. You know, I posted on my Facebook today, make sure there is pressure in your life. Don't mm-hmm. remove them all, you know, because that's very good for our, uh, you know, uh, spiritual health and growth. Wow. Well, well, Pastor Said, we've we've uh, run out of time, but I will I will say that uh, I can guarantee you that many of our listening audience will be following you on Facebook and will be supporting you in prayer in in uh, in action as well and i just want to express my gratitude for you as a christian i mean thank you for being a a model uh, as a christian and thank you for all you've done and uh you will be in our prayers and uh, our acts of support as well uh mr Epidini. god bless you my friend thank you Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And as I said, I'm nothing. I give all the glory to God, and He's the one that He deserves all the glory and credit. Thank you. Amen. God bless Amen. you and listeners. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much. Folks, that was Pastor Saeed Abedini. You know, isn't it interesting? Um, that uh, and, and he said it. You know, all the glory does belong to God. Now, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a minister. I'm the furthest thing from it. Pastor Langford's coming up next, but, but, um, you know, when you when you talk with a gentleman like this, 36 years old, incarcerated, facing the death penalty in an Iranian prison, really, 
and and we have it bad. We have excuses why we can't do whatever. Oh my goodness, he's a role model. Certainly, I for for me, every time I you know what, every time I think of an excuse where I can't talk about the gospel to someone, all I have to do is think about uh, this conversation with Saeed Abedini. And and wow, you talk about the talk about adversity, huh? Oh man! Did you like that, folks? And, and you know, we deliberately, we deliberately. I did not deliver. I deliberately not asked him about, you know, what happened to him in prison. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is, he's out there preaching the gospel and being an inspiration to all of us. He's the example, and giving all of the glory to God, folks. You're listening to the Hagman the Hagman Report back with Pastor David Langford. And again, thanks, uh, John, for setting that interview up. Really appreciate that. Up next, voiceofevangelism.com, Pastor David Langford. Stay right where you at. This hour, Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism.com, America's pastor, and certainly our in-house spiritual counsel, in my view, a walking encyclopedia of scripture. You know, um, Derek and I were joking the other day. There was a show, I think Jeff Foxworthy had it, uh, where, um, Bible trivia. I mean, Pastor Langford, Langford would, I'm sure that he'd be banned like a card counter in Vegas from that because he would clean up on that. Oh my goodness. Anytime that I, I've got a question myself about biblical scripture and how it relates contextually, Pastor Langford is my go-to person for explanations. He wrote the Revelation 13 Revealed, um, and, uh, the book of Jude, just a tremendous man, a tremendous author prolific author his website thevoiceofevangelism.com and a very good friend of the program and every Wednesday we're so we're so grateful that he has agreed to come on every Wednesday before we get to Pastor Langford you know I just want to I, I want to tell you well Eric myself my wife Joe Jackie we were traveling this spring and we we were at O'Hare Airport and we got separated have you been to O'Hare Airport it's like a a city. It's like a metropolis. All right. We got separated. So my wife con- uh, tried to call Jackie using her cell phone. Jackie's cell phone is dead. All right. Where, and where do you, what do you do? You know, how do you find another person? Well, anyway, long story short, um, I, I, I have the, the, the greatest gift to give my daughter. I, I found it and, uh, I've used this very item. How would you like a, a carry on Luggage, a piece of carry-on luggage that is made with the finest materials. And think about this, made with the finest materials. It's got the wheels that only high price, like $1,000 carry-ons use. Um, it's stylish, but it's made from a, a premium German, German polycarbonate. It, it's impact resistance, very lightweight yet. 
It, it, the interior features a patent pending compression system, which, man, if if you're like my daughter, you overpack. It it helps for that. It's got four 360 degree spinner wheels, guaranteed for a smooth ride. It's got a TSA approved combination lock built into the top of the bag to prevent theft. It, it's got a removable washable laundry bag that keeps dirty clothes separate from clean. It's got various sizes. Th- this bag. But 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 this carry-on piece of luggage was was inspired by true traveler stories, and I'd like to think maybe one of mine because, again, my daughter O'Hare Airport, kind of away from the crowd, cell phone dead. Guess what, folks? This bag, this carry-on luggage, actually charges your cell phone. It's got USB ports built into the outside. All you do is plug your your cell phone in. Or whatever device, tablet, whatever you have, and it charges. Uh, you got a piece of luggage that charges your electronic device. Can you believe that? It, it, travel smarter with the suitcase that charges your phone. It's called the Away Carry On. It's unbreakable. It's a phone charging, life warranted bag that GQ, for example, is raving about. Vogue magazine raving about. Away travel dot com slash hagman away travel dot com slash hagman away travel dot dot com slash hagman and the promo code is hagman for a twenty dollar off in the purchase of a suitcase this suitcase is the official suitcase carry on of the hagman and hagman report again travel smarter with the away carry on it's one of the finest it's the finest, the actually the finest carry-on bag I've ever seen. It comes with a 100-day trial period, so you can travel with it before you commit. If you love it, great. It's guaranteed for life. It's This will offer you a lifetime of luggage happiness. And if you travel a lot, this is this is really the carry-on of, of your dreams. Really, it is. And uh, I'll tell you this, right now, a new way to give, uh, they have a new way to give this away for the holidays. The gift set. It's a miniature away suitcase, perfect for the, all the small essentials you may have. The gift set uh, include includes cozy travel socks, a gift card, and Aesop's Jet Set Kit, which includes a travel size shampoo, conditioner, body cleanser, and balm. AwayTravel.com. They've got two special edition holiday colors it's in snow. It's kind of it's a white. It's beautiful and asphalt charcoal gray. Beautiful. It really is. Actually, my daughter's getting the white. Don't tell her. And, and well, folks, awaytravel.com slash Hagman. That's all you need to know. Go there. Have, just enjoy yourself. Visit awaytravel.com slash Hagman. And when you go there to buy your away bag, you'll get $20 off of your purchase, your suitcase, when you visit awaytravel.com slash Hagman and use our promo code, which is Hagman, during checkout. Again, awaytravel.com slash Hagman. At checkout, use Hagman for a $20 off uh, discount at checkout. It's a, it's an amazing bag, and you're going to be able to see it on video because I'm going to show it. I'm that excited about this bag. It's a bag that charges your cell phone. <laughs> so, Jackie, I hope you're not listening, but uh, you're going to love it. Now, Pastor David Langford, Voice of Evangelism. Pastor Langford, thanks for joining us tonight. Great joy to be with you guys tonight, and uh, sounds like an awesome piece of luggage there, Doug. That would be very beneficial to everyone that travels a great deal. Oh, you got to see this, Pastor. I'm, I'm going to tell you what. Uh, yeah, no more, you know, having a uh, 
dead cell phone. It's, it's just fantastic. But anyway, be, before you came on last hour, we were talking with a pastor, Saeed Abedini. Uh, he was the, the, I don't know, you probably didn't hear this. Uh, I know you're a busy guy, but he was the, one of the American pastors, the Iranian American pastors who was held in captivity in Iran for three years. He faced the death penalty and he was just released this past January. And the reason I brought this up is just to let you know that it, 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 what an amazing story. And, and he was talking about, um, I mean, he, he's the guy that, that founded 30, um, 30 underground churches or in two uh, hundreds of, I shouldn't say 30, 100 underground churches in 30 cities converted thousands of, of Muslims to Christianity. And he's, he's preaching the gospel while in prison, while facing the death penalty. And here we are in America <laughs> making excuses why we can't preach the gospel and give the word, you know, uh, preach the word to, to, to others. It's just amazing. I just wanted to tell you that. Well, I heard some of the uh, interview. Um, he fulfills Romans 1 and 16, where Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God. Uh, the truth is, most American ministers are ashamed of the gospel. That's why they don't preach it. They're more concerned about shaking people down for a dollar than telling them the truth. And for that reason, I would want to be in the shoes of a lot of these so-called ministers at the judgment seat of God because they're going to give an account for all of these masses of people that they would not preach the truth to and tell them. Mm. You know, they have no conviction. You know, at the end of the day, uh, no matter what you are in life, your convictions dictate how you handle a situation, where you will go in a situation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, people who don't have any conviction uh, as Paul said, they're tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, um, and which is a type of uh, a life where there's no stability. And just whatever comes, whatever goes, it's trendy. And uh, this brother, uh, you know, in prison for his conviction, having an experience with Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, and never once wavering. And uh, and you know, in the end, God delivered him. You know, it doesn't matter how God does it. That, that ought to increase everyone's faith. It doesn't matter how God does it. He, he can use anyone, anything, because he's God. Um, and, and to me, that's what makes it so great. Uh, Proverb 11 and 14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Uh, simply put, where there is no sound advice or, or wisdom uh, and, and God can do that through a human being uh, for, uh, in, in a type of deliverance so you know that man's testimony uh, should we should all desire to have that kind of a testimony uh, regretfully many people are not going to have that testimony in the end yeah regretfully and, and to, to one's own eternal peril you know, it's, uh, wow. Well, 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 Pastor, what is on your heart today? Uh, I'm sure there's many things, but what what's foremost on your heart? I, I today, Doug, was thinking about the program tonight, and I was thinking about two things. One, polarization, and the other, deception. Um, you want one of the most powerful things about deception 
and I don't know that people really grasp it or able to fathom it or understand it, but when you are deceived, you know you're totally wrong. But you can't know that you're de- uh, wrong because you're deceived. No, you, you you can't see through the veneer um, and understand that I am wrong because deception will not allow you to see that you're wrong. You keep, you know, saying with rapidity, I am right, but you're totally wrong. Therefore, you are deceived and you can't come to the light. And uh, I was thinking about how polarized our nation has become. And it will only become more polarized in the coming weeks and months uh, under this new uh, president-elect. Because I think God, as I said a few weeks ago when Steve and I were on, is going to turn the stinking boat upside down. And it's going to appear as chaos. Uh, but it's going to be orderly chaos because it's going to be divine be. Uh, administrated through the divine hand of God. God's going to do this, and it will be orderly, but it will be chaotic to those who don't have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. Uh, I think some of the greatest days uh, are right before us for the church, for the opportunity for revival, for a divine and sovereign move of God, something that we haven't seen in many, many years and decades. Uh, As I said, too, my fear is... Every time God gives the church a victory, we take a, a victory lap, and we become indifferent in just a matter of weeks and months, you know, after 9-11. I mean, everyone was praying. Everyone went to church. And in six months, it was over with. And uh, I'm, I'm really afraid that's what will happen this time if we're not careful. And we keep, if we don't keep pushing the people you know, people have a tendency just to fall by the wayside because, well, I'm tired. I don't, you know, I just don't care to pray. I don't, I don't care to read my Bible. Just you're making excuses. Uh, we get the word disciple from the word discipline. One, a person who is a disciple of Jesus Christ is disciplined to his tenets, his dogma, his doctrine, and uh, that's one of the greatest weaknesses in people's lives is being disciplined to the Word of God. And developing a prayer life, developing a time to study, a time to seek the Lord. You know, there are times we do have to take a rest because we're human beings, but we must be disciplined and stay with a, a, a program, per se, in our own personal lives to keep what God has given us. And uh, mm-hmm. my concern is, like I said, uh, you know, after the first of the year, people become complacent, lethargic, and, uh, and we'll lose the victory God has given us. And the problem with that is you always go back into a more worse state. You, you always fall back into a greater state of apostasy, a greater state of denial, a greater state of deception. I mean, it's just think about 2001. And from there until now, look at the demise of this nation. Same-sex marriage, transgenderism, you name it, you know, gender identity problems, don't know if I'm a man today or a woman tomorrow. I mean, it's bizarre. Why was that able to take place? All because the people became more deceived. You know? And of course, they're going to tell you, no, I'm not deceived, I'm right. You're the one that's wrong. 
you know, when we oppose yeah. same-sex marriage or sodomy or whatever the sin might be, we are the homophobic. You know, we, we have a phobia. We have a fear. We have a mental disorder. I, I don't have a mental disorder, but that's the cop-out to, to put the onus back on us that we have something wrong in our minds, uh, and, and there is nothing wrong with us. We're thinking, as, as Peter and Paul both said, you're to be sober-minded, Right. And if you lose your sober-mindedness, that's how you fall into deception. You, you, you lose you know, that uh, Pastor, you really, um, I, I really didn't think about that, the, the way you just characterized um, the life in, in America, specifically here in America, leading up to, to 9-11 of 01. And if you think back, folks, I mean, we, we had... Uh, Really, most of the decade of the '90s, the Clintons, and then we had George Bush, and and the conservatives, and specifically the conservative Christians, most of them kind of sat back and said, "Oh, okay, you know, it's now it's going to be different. It's going to be good." And then 9/11 happened. We got sucker punched. At least that that's the pretext. Absolutely. And, then everyone goes, and, and we're all in church. We're all being, you know, kind to our neighbors. Road rage goes way down, and the fights in the parking lots, or if there were any, you know, hardly any. And everyone was uh, sober in their in, in their daily life, and aware of the fragility of life, but also looking at the bigger picture for a while. And then you're right; this relapse took place. And then lawlessness increased. And then the election or selection of Obama. And look how quickly we descended from the, you know, 9-12-2001 to, we'll say, 9-12 of 2013-14-15, whatever it might be. My goodness, what a great analogy. And if we're not careful, this next relapse could take us way worse. In well... I believe the next relapse will ultimately bring the judgment of God. This is nothing but a reprieve, uh, an act of grace, an act of mercy, because people like ourselves have stayed disciplined. You know, I've, 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 I've never quit preaching repentance. I won't quit preaching repentance. I won't quit preaching against sin and these, these ungodly deeds and actions. I'll never stop. You know, but there are those who will be on fire for God today and they'll be lukewarm tomorrow. Uh, Jesus gave us a great analogy in the uh, 12th chapter of Matthew about a demoniac, uh, Matthew 12 and 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. In other words, the man's tabernacle, his temple, his earthen vessel, his clay jar had been cleansed. He had been delivered. He had been set free. But he failed to fill that void up with something. So that demon, he said, I will return unto my house from which I came out. And he, when he came, he found it empty, swept, and garnished. Then the Bible said, Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. So now we have eight. 
And the number eight in biblical numerology means new beginnings. So now the new beginning of this man is exactly what Jesus said, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. There's a danger in the blessings of God. Because when you're blessed and then you abuse the blessing, you're held in greater contempt and greater judgment than before. We, we, we in theory, would have been better off if we don't take this and use it wisely, this time, this, this mercy, this grace that God has bestowed upon us. If we don't take this time and use it correctly and properly, what will come upon us will be far worse than what we've witnessed before. But God in His grace, God in His mercy, um, has shown us unbelievable mercy and grace. And I, I don't want to forfeit this blessing. I don't want to forfeit this divine intervention. But people regretfully, because of their human nature, you know, Israel is the greatest example that we could ever have in their exodus. All the great things that God did over and over. Their shoes, you know, the book of Psalms tells us their shoes did not even wear out for 40 years. I mean, is that a paraphlorsum or what? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, that was just the grace of God. It, it, though he didn't let their shoes wear out, he let them die. He let them die because they didn't believe. You know, a lot of people say they believe. You know, James 2.19 says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devil also believes and trembles. Believing is one thing, living it is another. The devil believes in God. Everyone, unless they're just totally atheistic, would say, I believe in God, I believe in a deity. You know, I, they'll say, as you've never seen a, 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 an atheist in a foxhole, and the mortars and the missiles and the bullets are flying, you know, it's God have mercy on me. You know, they, they all of a sudden become... God-fearing people uh, when they're facing death, you know, and um, uh, this is this is the problem. Um, Voltaire, you know, he, he mocked the Word of God, uh, yes. an atheist in France, and um, he died. He uh, the nurse that attended his death and those last days. She said, "I don't want to ever uh, have to attend to another atheist death." Uh, the last thing he said was when the physician came into his bedroom, he reached up and grabbed the physician by his coat lapels and pulled him down. And he said, oh, Nazarene, oh, Nazarene, thou hast conquered me. You know, I used to wonder why God would let people just live for 70, 80, 90 years and never deal with them. Brother, life is so short. The brevity of it is so short. And now I see why that doesn't bother God if a man lives to be 100 years old and, and commits all these evil crimes, because his day's coming. God knows that, because man has a beginning and man has an end. And after that, he stands before God. And uh, Israel was the, the epitome of a people that God brought out, delivered. They cried out. They begged God for deliverance. He sent Moses. He got them out. But then they couldn't inherit the promised land because of unbelief. Unbelief. They just didn't believe like they should have uh, believed. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Your heart becomes 
unbelieving. See, and I, I think I shared this. It's like the ungodly. Well, what does that mean? Well, they were once godly because they've backslid. Now they become ungodly. They were once believing, but now they become unbelievers. You had to first believe to become an unbeliever, you know. But they once believed, and 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 he said they had an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. That evil heart steers one away from God. A believing heart, a God-fearing heart, steers one to God. And we want to stay in the correct and proper relationship with Him. And e- um, e- Exactly. E- e- you know, what you said, if I can just revisit what you said about Voltaire, sure. you know, um, and you're, you're right, on his deathbed, uh, well, well, the the story of Voltaire, the atheist, um, one of the most aggressive antagonists against Christianity, uh, he 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 wrote many things to undermine the church, and once said of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not even going to say that because it's just it's horrible. But in 20 years, he said Christianity will be no more, and you know. Uh, but but it, it, you're right because the nurse that uh, at his deathbed said, and this is documented in the in the history, said, "For all the wealth in Europe, I would not see another." atheist die and and i think people you know we need to understand people everyone listening to this for every person out there you're going to have a last meal you're going to draw your last breath and of course you're going to have a last utterance and in many ways what we say in the end is really an insight into how we lived our life and absolutely uh, man so yeah i mean we die as generally we die is as we have lived, and uh, we, you know we have to take that to heart. But very, very interesting. Uh, wow, you're, you're right. Well, it, the Bible said in Hebrews ten thirty one, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And the truth is, every man, whether he's a believer, non-believer, or unbeliever, he is in the hands of God. And as you said, we all have that appointment. And we'll make that appointment. You won't call and say, can you give me 15 minutes? Can you give me two more days? i got to get this taken care of. No. <laughs> when God calls, you come. You don't. Yeah, you, know, you can't call the doctor and say, can you, I need to move my appointment. <laughs> that won't happen with God. No, no. And, and you know, Pastor, it, it's... it. We have such a gift given to us right now, being in the uh, being in the West or being in America or again wherever you're listening to this. We have such a blessing right now. If you don't, if you have not given your life over to Jesus Christ, and I'm not a pastor, I'm not a minister, but if you haven't done that, um, I I certainly would say please do it because we don't know when when we will take that last breath. We don't know. If we are going to wake up tomorrow, I don't know that. I mean, tomorrow has not been promised to us. Um, so, you know, you're right. We're about a minute from the break, uh, or about uh, 40 seconds, Pastor. But uh, voiceofevangelism.com is Pastor David Langford's website, voiceofevangelism.com. Pastor, do you have a new book out real quick here? Uh, uh, we're just about getting ready to send it to the printer and get it get it printed, uh, hopefully here in the next two weeks. Okay, perfect. We're going to be watching for that. P- P- Pastor Langford, uh, David Langford, a very prolific author, writer, and what a what a gracious uh, man to, to come on every Wednesday to to really inspire us, inform us, and inspire us. And and folks, if you haven't read Revelation thirteen revealed, it's a it's a 
it's a quick read, but it's so informative. Not a wasted word on the pages. That's Revelation 13 Revealed in the Book of Jude at thevoiceofevangelism.com. Pastor Langford's sharing with us the gospel, the good news, and, of course, uh, commenting on where we're at today in the entire scheme of things. We're going to be right back. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report, hagmanreport.com. Stay right where you're at. So blessed to have with us Pastor David Langford, thevoiceofevangelism.com. You know, visit thevoiceofevangelism.com, and it's it's interesting because, um, well, it, one, really two sentence, well, one sentence says it all. The sole purpose of this ministry is to be obedient to the Lord in preaching the gospel to all people, that the lost may be saved and that the righteous be encouraged and edified. I mean, that's the mission statement, the purpose of the voice of evangelism.com. And, and, and there it is. Isn't that what we're all called to do? But I'll tell you what, Pastor David Langford does it a heck of a lot better than I could ever do it. <laughs> Pastor Langford, thanks for holding over. Man, um, yeah, it, wow, so, some inspirational, inspirational things, uh, and, and, where are we at? Isn't I mean we're, we're divided uh, right now. We are we are polarized, but that's gonna that's gonna. I suspect that's gonna be uh, become worse if if we're not careful. Um, are, do, do do you believe we can we can enact a revival? I mean, do you believe that we can really? If well, we, yeah, go ahead. I I I believe there is a revival coming, but the, the people must understand. Anytime there is a dynamic move of God, it comes with pain and suffering. Mm. Somehow, you know, we we think God is just going to bless us and bless up, and there's going to be a great move of God, and there's going to be no cost involved in it. That's absurd. You know, saying is true. You get what you pay for. And the greater the price the early church paid, the greater the church grew. But, you know, I would encourage everyone to go back and read the book of Acts. It's called Acts of the Apostles. It's not, it doesn't, it's not given a name like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Romans, Philippians, Revelation, James, Timothy, Titus, uh, Ephesians. It's Acts of the Apostles. In other words, it's a book that showed how the early church was formed, how it grew. It gives us protocol. Um, that's another thing that's one of the great problems in today's church you know people always say things throw it up in your face well what would Jesus do well the gospel is to every creature you know Matthew sixteen fifteen. go you into all the world or Mark excuse me sixteen fifteen. go you into all the world and preach the gospel but once a person becomes born again Doug uh, any any sport that anyone likes I don't care if it's just playing rook uh, the card game rook there are rules if you play golf, there are rules. If you play basketball, there are rules. You play baseball, there are rules. The 
epistles, what we call it, the Pauline epistles, some call them the prison epistles, give us the rules and the guidelines and the regulations about how we live our lives. And today people want to live in grace and in stop at discipline and correction and rules and guidelines. You know, and when you do that, you have already disqualified yourself. You know, uh, when you when you cheat in any kind of uh, Olympic event, or you can win the gold medal, they come back and find out you used products in your body that were illegal, they'll take the medal back. And and, and and there's a lot of people today who don't understand how they disqualify themselves because they don't live according to the epistles. As I said, the gospel is to uh, every creature, you know. But once a man becomes born again, once a person becomes a new creature, creature a new creature, a new creation in Christ, then he must strive lawfully, Paul said. You'll find that in 1 Timothy 1 and 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And then he goes on and talks about, know this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless. And he went to a litany of being disobedient, ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane, murderers, murders of mothers, murders of fathers, manslayers, whoremongers. I mean, he just, he just keeps on going through a litany of things. And so he, he says you must, you must strive and you must strive lawfully. Well, he's not talking about the Mosaic law because he's, 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 he's writing and teaching and preaching about this new revelation called grace. But the truth is people today don't want to abide by the, the laws and by the rules in the, in the New Testament epistles. And uh, this is why we have such confusion in the church uh, you know, we're, we're to a state and place where we have homosexual pastors, lesbian pastors. We just have everything you can imagine. Uh, and, 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 and people say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, read your Bible. You know, read your Bible, and you will see that God condemns these sins. And, of course, then they fall back and say, well, what would Jesus do? Well, now that you're born again, we are to grow. Second Peter 3.18 says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You honed your skills as a private investigator and as a talk show host. You're more comfortable now doing this than you were five years ago. Why? You've learned to strive with this and flow with this and you've become more comfortable with it, not in a, contempt, a contemptible sense, but you're, you're more confident because you know what you're doing now, whereas before it was kind of a uh, trial and error. Well, after we become born again, we quit living by trial and error. We go to the Word of God and say, Lord, show me, teach me how to live a godly life. You know, David said in Psalms 1, verse 6, The Lord knoweth the way of the godly, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, uh, God knows if you live right, He knows the path you're going to stay on. And He also knows if you become ungodly, He knows in the end you will perish. So what we've got to learn to do is get in the Word of God, the epistles, and study them because they are the, they are the bylaws, they are the guidelines, they are the rules, 
and they tell us how to deal with things that we're confronted with. And this is why you have such confusion in the church. You know, I, I confront it all the time. You know, people writing me, asking me, calling me, and it's because you haven't gone to the Scriptures to get the correction that you need. Jesus told the Pharisees, when they were, uh, they actually the Sadducees, excuse me, in Matthew 22, they were trying to confront him about a uh, man having been married, and he died, and uh, then said his brother took him up, or took up his wife, and so this went on through seven men, and they said in the resurrection, even though they didn't believe in it, they said in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And he said, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. You don't understand. And he went and explained to them, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor marry, or are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. There's no need to remarry, because there's no need to procreate, because you have eternal life. You'll never die. But they were just trying to draw him into a, uh, a spat, a feud. But he said, you err because you don't know the scriptures. And so God doesn't make this thing hard, but we have to study. Second Timothy 2.15, Paul said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we take the whole Bible and we sit down and we study it. And one scripture will tie into another scripture and in, into another and so forth and so on. And you have this quilted blanket, like a peace quilt, all put together, and it makes all the sense in the world. But as, as Paul said, you, you, know, you, you people are babes. You're still on the milk when you need to be on the meat. And we, we lose our spiritual maturity. Uh, you know, I, I, I know a whole lot more than I did 40 years ago in the scriptures. But I spent a lifetime giving myself to studying the Word of God. And, um, and I'm not, you know, anybody can do what I do. Uh, I, I do consider it somewhat a gift from God, but I, I spend my time in the Scriptures, you know, so that I can understand the Scriptures. Uh, that's, you know, what we do. Um, but because people don't search the Scriptures, Jesus said in John five thirty nine, search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The scriptures testify of Jesus. No matter if it's the Pauline epistle or the gospel, it's all going to speak about Jesus. From 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 you know Genesis one and one to, to Revelation twenty two and twenty one, everything in there speaks about one person. It all fundamentally evolves around Jesus Christ, and that's where the knowledge comes from. And we can only get that knowledge as we immerse ourselves in the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures have corrected me on so many things that I was taught wrong. Uh, I heard somebody say, and then I got to digging in the word of God, found out they were wrong. Uh, we sometimes embrace doctrine because we have confidence in the person who is saying it, but that doesn't mean they're perfectly right or without error. That's why the Bereans search the scriptures to see if the things that Paul the Apostle was preaching was the truth. You know, uh, don't take my word, go to the word of God and find out if what I'm saying is correct. We all have the same Bible. We can study, we can know, we can learn. That doesn't mean you're called of God just because you have a Bible, but you, we all have a responsibility to the word to study it. 
uh, and I, okay. as a pastor, I've witnessed you know people at a first grade level, and I've witnessed Christians at a twelfth grade level, and you have a variation of scriptural knowledge and spiritual understanding, and that's why Peter said, "Grow in grace and in knowledge." We're always to keep honing our mind and our spirit, and we get it from the Word of God. We get our our, our, our keenness. It comes from the Scriptures. You know, Solomon said, iron sharpeneth iron in Proverbs. It's always making us sharper. And so if if we don't stay in the Word, that's how you get tricked and deceived into believing something that's erroneous. Okay, okay. Pastor, you you make a good point here. And and as a Christian and as as someone who is studying the Bible, attempts to be obedient, uh, I hear other Christians often, uh, usually on the uh, more liberal, politically, I guess, left, I would say, to justify, for example, immorality or... um, well, I'll just pick homosexuality for for as an example to justify that. They uh, appear to take passages from the Bible or a passage and say, "Look, this is this is why we are not to judge, or this is why we are to accept and, and tolerate." And I'm paraphrasing here. For example, whatever sin they might be talking about, and I'll just say homosexuality. Um, for example. Now, as as a Christian here, as a Christian man attempting to really understand and learn the Bible, be obedient, I, I know homosexuality is not of the Bible. It's wrong. It's a sin. Um, yet there are people who will attempt to justify that behavior through Scripture. Now, how, as a Christian studying the Bible, uh, how do you combat that? Um, they're cherry picking scripture. Um, how, how how do you combat that? As a as a, well, if you're sitting at the dinner table with your family and and someone says, well, according to Jesus, you know, he accepts everyone and and talks about the or, or they select a passage that's relevant to whatever they might be referring to. Uh, how, well, how do we as Christians handle that, or what, how do we identify that? Well, first of all, we have to have a a good understanding of the scriptures and again this is why you got to get into the Pauline epistles there's 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 not a sin that Paul the apostle did not cover in the epistles you know in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 he said no you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God the next phrase is be not deceived that's what we're talking about deception because when you're deceived you think you're right, but you're totally wrong. So this is why Paul said, be not deceived. Then he goes on, he says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, idol worshipers, adulterers, both men and women, nor effeminate. And the word effeminate there is pederast, catamites, men, older men having sex with little boys. We see that in the government on a continual basis, nor abuses of themselves with mankind. That's full-blown sodomy. But see, because they don't know the scriptures, they don't know that's what that means. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, hey, 
I, I, I fit a lot of those definitions there before I got saved. You know, I'm not going to call all of them out on myself, but I, I hit a lot of those myself personally. Uh, not effeminate nor an abuser of themselves of mankind, but a lot of those other ones, you know, you could pin the donkey on me to tell on the donkey because I was guilty of some of those sins. But if you go back to 1 Corinthians 5, the chapter before that, there is a element of fornication in the church where a son is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, most theologians believe it was the father's second marriage, so the son was sleeping with his stepmother. And therefore, Paul made the statement, this kind of fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. That's why they believe it was not incestual in the sense of blood, but it was still his stepmother. And so Paul is telling the church, you've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with this sin that's in the church. Well, how do you deal with it? You've got to judge it. You have to judge this sin in the church. And then, of course, Paul tells them why. He said, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? If you let this abide in the church, the body of Christ, the whole body is going to become leavened. Leavened in the scriptures is always a type of evil, sin, wickedness, immorality, whatever the case might be, but it's always applied in an evil way. It's fermentation. And so, uh, of course, Jesus, the Passover, they had to have unleavened bread. So when he said, take Eve, this is my body, there was no sin in his body. See, and the church, that's why I'm writing this book, the church is the body of Christ, not the bride of Christ, but the body of Christ. So he's not going to have sin in his body. That's why he made them eat unleavened bread in the Exodus. They had to clean out their whole house the week before the Feast of Passover. At the Passover, when he had it with the disciples at the Last Supper, he said, take eat, this is my body. Well, it was unleavened bread, meaning I don't have any sin in me. See, that you, 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 you cannot find sin in my life. You can search and you can dig, you can probe, you can do everything that you want to do, but you're not going to find sin in my life. And, and, and so Paul is addressing the church here at Corinth. And he's telling the church, you've got to get this sin out. And, and he hammers it. He said, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, let me say this. The word fornication, the word fornicator, is so broad, it covers any sexual sin that a person could ever imagine, think of. It, 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 that's how broad the word is. It covers every imaginable sexual sin that there is. When you see the word fornication, that covers it all. You know, people say, well, I, I'm not, you know, fornication is between single people. It covers every every sin that can be imagined in, in, the, in the sexual sphere and realm. It, it's, we, it's The Greek word is pornos, and we get the uh, English word pornography or pornography, porno. Okay, Paul says, I wrote unto you in an epistle, and that's what we're talking about, those are the, the rules, the guidelines, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must needs ye go out into the world. In other words, this is all out there in the world. God forbid he gets on the inside of the church. You, you, you know, this is where this is supposed to remain, on the outside, in the world, but not in the church. 
see? For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not to eat. Now, but that's, that's, that, that Paul said, don't even, don't even have dinner with them. See? Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is just the scriptures. Either you believe the scriptures or you don't. I know people say, well, I, I, that's hard. I didn't write it. I'm just sharing with you what it says. For what have I to do to them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? You judge them that are within is what he is saying. That's, that's old English. But them that are without, God will judge. In other words, don't you worry about the man on the street corner. I know he's a sinner. That's what Paul is saying. I know he's not right with God. You know, God will deal with him and through the conviction and the Spirit drawing him to repentance or whatever the case might be. But you need to take care of those on the inside of the church because this is the body of Christ. Well, if we started dealing with sin in the church today, the church would dwindle very quickly when we begin to address the carnality. I mean, think about a homosexual church. You have to say, well, all of you need to be thrown out. Yeah, and and there is... I was, I, I just found out there is one, um, well, I'm sure there's many, but there's one that I know of in, uh, uh, Wisconsin that, uh, it just blew my mind that to, to, uh, to, to see photographs of that particular congregation, if that's what you want to call it, but my goodness, okay. So it's clear though, and it goes back to your original statement too about believing, in a sense too, about believing the, or being deluded or having, you know, being, you're believing a lie. The yeah, collusion. you know, and that's another problem. Second Thessalonians chapter two verses eleven and twelve. Paul said, "For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." If God through me or you or anybody keeps telling you this is sin, this is wrong, this is error, you can't do this, and they keep telling you, "No, sir, it's not wrong." God says, I'll give you over to a delusional spirit. You will believe that lie, and you'll be damned. Why? Because you received not, neither did you have a love for the truth. You know, it's just like me when I got saved. You know, I had long hair. I was, you know, me and you were both from the same generation. And uh, nobody told me to cut my hair. (laughs) You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 14 says, Doth not nature itself teach you if a man have long hair? It's a shame. We were just in rebellion of having long hair. Now, that, that's all. Uh, long hair on a man is nothing but rebellion. I mean, let's just be honest about it. You can go read that tonight, folks, in the First Corinthians chapter 11. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying something that the Bible does not say. I'm telling you everything that the Bible says. See? So I only had long hair because I was in rebellion. I gave my heart to the Lord. You know what I went and done? I got a haircut. <laughs> you know, because my heart was now right. And I, I, I didn't want to agree God. You know, if, if Paul says, if nature teaches you it's a shame, you mean now the Spirit of God has got to tell you it's a shame? Mm-hmm. Doth not nature itself teach you if a man have long hair, it's a shame? I know what I'm saying tonight. A lot of people have never even heard. But I can't help that. I just know the Scriptures. So if nature tells you, you know, what does nature tell you about your sexuality? 
<laughs> you know, yeah. I know there's it's a little a lot bit hard things. to not do, but I'm just being pragmatic, brother. No, I, I love it. I mean, it, it, it's well, yeah. I'm not going to answer that question because, boy, yeah, you're right, though. But you see, that's because everyone, up to a point in life, has a good conscience. Once you allow that conscience to become seared or you totally give over to that seducing spirit, up to that point, you know what's right, you know what's wrong. That's the danger of deceit, as I kept saying tonight. A person that is deceived will tell you emphatically, I am absolutely right. And you're looking at them when you're saying, no, you're absolutely wrong. (laughs) And you're like, why can't I communicate with this person? Why can't I get through their thick skull? It's a spiritual problem, and it's called deception. Second Thessalonians 2, 3, Paul said, let no man deceive you by any means. And the word means there means any mode or method. And of course, people will seek to deceive us. I mean, look, look at our politicians. They are a prime example. Most of our politicians in America have been given over to a seducing spirit. They, you know, you like your health care plan, you keep your health care. You like your doctor, you keep your doctor. We've got to pass the legislation to see what's in it. And the woman keeps getting reelected out there in San Francisco, California. How in God's name can anybody in their right mind want to put somebody in office that don't even read legislation and votes in the affirmation, the affirmative? Oh, yeah. What, what's wrong with them? They're deceived or they're under a delusion. One of the two. They're, they're really synonymous, True. you know. Uh, in that context. And, and when I see that, and you, like I said, you give people the Word of God, then they want to say, well, that's out of date. You know, I know a situation right now, well, that's written by men. You know, well, yeah, that's right. But Second Peter one twenty one said, for the prophecy came in the old time, not by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But there's no way a man could write a book like the Bible and be so accurate. It's impossible. God had to be the divine intervention in what was written. Because as I said, Paul covers everything that we deal with in our humanity. I tell people, you want to understand human behavior? Read the Bible. Amen. It will teach you more about human behavior than any book you can buy from a PhD or psychologist or psychiatrist. And and, and there it is, Pastor. I mean, the, the bottom line, read the Bible and, yeah. and study it, you know, and, and be immersed in the Word, uh, Pastor. We, you've we, we've come to the end of the program already. I just uh, <laughs> wow that that was a fast time with you. Um, my goodness, but you you said so much tonight. And see, folks, long hair, guys, long hair, cut your but but, but you're right. The sign of rebellion. It, I'll admit this. I did not realize. In the Bible, that was in the Bible. Okay, I mean, the, the well, way you I understand you that. that. I, listen, I, I, that's not to be condescending. I know a lot of people don't know a lot of things, but that's not to put anybody down. It's just when I come out with it, they're like, "Are you sure you're right?" Well, check me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I love it because uh, to, to me, I mean, that's uh, you believe we believe that the uh, 
in the verbal inspiration of the Bible. Absolutely. And, you know, in the inerrancy of the Bible. So they, what, a, what a wonderful, yeah. Pastor, thank you so very much. I know it's, it's, uh, I know you, you have a radio program Monday and Tuesday, uh, 5 to 6 p.m. And then Wednesday, of course, you join us. I know you're a busy guy, but thank you for sharing your time with us. You're and quite we welcome. Really we might pick this up next Wednesday night. How's that? Amen. Let's do it. It's a date. Okay, brother, we'll do it. All right, All right I'll God see God you then, All right. Have a great thank night. You. Bye-bye. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, Pastor David Langford closing out uh, just a terrific program, I think. Uh, what an inspirational, informational program. Hey, you know what? Uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be on, uh, I'm going to have a conversation with Lisa Haven tomorrow uh, on her show. I can't wait for that. You know her. Lisa Haven, right? Um, so, so that should be fun. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. Folks, uh, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, follow us on social networking. I've got a social network uh, uh, page or Facebook page, myself and Twitter, myself and the business, or the uh, show has one as well. And, of course, Real Tech Eric, the man behind the uh, the spaceship there, you're sitting in the spaceship sh- uh, chair, Real Tech Eric, you can follow him as well. just want to say thank you so much for your kindness and your Spending time with us, you could you could do a number of things, but you, you chose to spend some time with us, and thank you thank you so much for that. Going to be back tomorrow with a fantastic program. We're, we're going to be uh, releasing some information about Islamberg, the weapons, the civil war coming, also Pizzagate, all of this and more. Folks, don't don't forget awaytravel.com, dot com, dot com slash Hagman. Visit that website. 